Blog Talk Radio. again today. Today we are going to be continuing a really interesting and popular theme here at A Better World that is just so near and dear to us all. Yep, that's right. It's food. What food do we put into our bodies? What food nourishes us? And what foods make us sick? These statistics on Eating uh, the standard American diet are abysmal for the uh, idea of supporting health. In fact, what we find is it doesn't really support health at all, but quite the contrary has led to endless amounts of statistically proven disease from the arthritic degenerative conditions, cancer, yep, the worst, folks. And, to the contrary, healthy food, live food, raw food, vegetarian, plant-based diets have shown to lead to exquisite health, overcoming these kinds of illnesses, as well as in the cases of people who are not ill at all, maintaining and upgrading their normal level of health and mental clarity, energy, vitality, good skin, clear eyes, you name it. It's an awesome subject that really deserves a lot of attention, which is why we cover it regularly here on A Better World. And today, to really explore it in further depth, we're very pleased to have as our guest Ocean Robbins. Ocean is the author with his very well-known father, John Robbins, originally the author of Diet for a New America that came out some years back and really was a game-changer for so many in helping to awaken uh, the thinking um, and increasing the education of so many people about the nature of food, what we have on our plate at dinner time, at lunchtime, at breakfast, and the difference it can make to our own personal health, to our family health, and really even that of the planet, Gaia herself. So we're really in for a fun and really interesting uh, show today. Uh, Ocean is the author of Voices of the Food Revolution, 
which is essentially an anthology with some really leading people. He, of course, did this, as I mentioned, with his father, John. And he, they describe it as having game-changing conversations. Isn't that appropriate? With Dr. Dean Ornish, Marianne Williamson, Joel Furman, Vandana Shiva, Raj Patel of Food First, and many others, Bill McKibben, Elizabeth Kucinich, Francis Moore Lape, who was on with us just last week, Neil Barnard, Dr. Neil Barnard, who was on last year with uh, Ms. Bragg, if you remember, for those of you who listen regularly. So this is the subject of today. We're going to go deep. There is a Food Revolution Summit coming up that Ocean will tell us about, and you can all participate for free. So, Ocean, are you with us here at A Better World? Happy to be with you, Mitchell. So glad, so glad. You and your father are up to some very good work. You are also, I should mention, the co-founder and CEO of the 100,000-member Food Revolution Network, and you're an adjunct professor in Chapman University's Peace Studies Department. So interesting. Peace Studies. So are you using, Ocean, in that context, the role of food in peacemaking? Tell us a little well, bit about that. Well, you know, there, is a, there are a number of ways that food and peacemaking intersect, Mitchell. Uh, one yes. is that, uh, that, of course, food down through history has been a way of bringing people together, you know, breaking bread together, sharing a exactly. meal together is a, is a form of disarmament and a, and a message of peace and connection. And it is true, we all eat, and food is one of the fundamental things we all have in common. But there's another reason that food intersects with peace in the world, and it is the reality that right now we have a food system that is actually uh, harming a lot of poor people around the world. And when you look at obesity and when you look at starvation, they're actually impacting a lot of the same communities. A lot of Mm -hmm. low-income communities where people either don't have enough to eat or don't have enough healthy food to eat, so they're filling up on the kind of junk, the sugars and uh, highly processed carbs, right? That, that are right, that are toxifying their yep. body and making them sick. And so, obesity rates are off the charts in low-income communities. And then around yeah. the world, of course, we have a problem with hunger, and it's a lot of the same foods driving both problems. Yep, exactly. You know, actually, you and I met about. Uh, probably just under a year ago, Ocean, if I'm not mistaken at the time, at an event of the evolutionary leaders at the UN. It was actually um, housed at one of the African nations' consulates right by the UN, remember? Yes, absolutely. I don't remember exactly what country it was, but certainly... I think it was the Nigerian embassy... You know, and, and I've done a lot of work yes. around the world. I've worked with leaders in over 64 countries. And yes. here's one of the oh, things I've that. noticed. You know, everybody eats. <laughs> and and it turns out that what we eat... When they're lucky, they're impact. eating. Right. Right. Well, lucky. that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's sure. true. And it turns out that what we eat has an, a huge impact on whether or not there is food for everybody. Certain yes. food choices actually uh, have a higher ecological footprint. And it takes more land, more energy, more resources to fuel them. And when you look at the data on this, it becomes very clear that a meat-centered diet 
like has become uh, often normal in the United States, is just not sustainable for the majority of the world's people. If we want to feed a world of 7 billion and growing, and if we want to do it in a sustainable way, we're going to have to find ways to lower our ecological footprint. And one of the things that's going to mean is we're going to have to consume less animal flesh. Now, you don't have to be a vegetarian to want your food choices to be an expression of your values and to make a more just and healthy world for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. But the reality is that, that if we care about the world's hungry, then we also care about the fact that it takes eight to ten pounds of grain to produce one pound of feedlot beef in the United States today. It only takes one pound of grain to make, you know, a pound of a pound of millet or oatmeal. It it yeah. also takes large amounts of land, vast areas of tropical forest. And, and it water. takes huge yeah. volumes of water to pro- provide one pound of meat. Yeah, like thousands Please of gallons don't. of water. So yeah. uh, and so the reality is that as someone who cares about uh, food for the world's hungry and cares about water in times of drought and cares about uh, the tropical rainforest and our climate, I realize that our food choices have a global impact that's not just yeah. personal. Now, I want to eat, well, I want to thrive, really I want to be healthy, the... I don't want to compromise my vibrancy one bit, but the good news is we don't have to. It turns out that a lot of the same food choices that are good for our planet are also good for our bodies, and that's what's so exciting. That really is, and that's a very important point. So people who consider themselves very you know, health-conscious, nutritionally conscious, and people who may not be that but are very environmentally conscious, this is uh, what you're really saying, Ocean, is that there's a crossroads between the two where the two meet, and they really help to cross-corroborate and cross-support each other. The energy and the values of one it really correlates with those of the other. You know, your father, uh, one of the big points that he made in his such well-known book, Diet for a New America, was looking at land use from this point of view. And he really, doing the arithmetic that he did, helped to bring forward, not that nobody knew that before, but he made it very nationally and internationally known about how one acre of land can either be for growing soy that could feed X number of people or for, you know, a handful of cows that would feed, you know, a much smaller uh, number of people. And it's that simple arithmetic really shakes the world the more you really contemplate it. Talk more well, about it's that. Well, really, it's really true. It is indeed. You know? And you know, the, the, the reality is that uh, around the world, historically, people have generally regarded meat in most cultures as a garnish. And, you know, the vast majority of the world's people see it that way, but not the thing to base their diets around. And, of course, there are exceptions in very cold climates where, in, in very arid climates where there just isn't, aren't plants growing. But yeah. for most of us who have the ability to access plants, uh, it's just, frankly, a much more sustainable thing to have at the center point of your diet. And what medical research is showing us in no uncertain terms, Mitchell, is that we need to eat more plants. You know, yes. we we have epidemics of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, uh, cancers, um, and, and many other diseases today that are growing fast and that are taking lives 
we have more people living sick, living with chronic illness, than any population in the history of the world. Life expectancy has leveled off in the United States, but health expectancy has been going down. And obesity rates have been going up. And it turns out that, uh, that the most powerful thing you can do if you want to improve your health is to think about what you're eating. And not just think about it, but choose it consciously. Yeah. And here, here's the amazing news. You know, we've got, a, we've got a medical system that consumes 18% of our gross domestic product in the United States. It is the leading cause of bankruptcy for families. It's making a lot of our businesses uncompetitive. And it's, uh, it's actually pretty scary to think about the future of Medicare and our, the solvency of our federal government as these costs continue to rise. Um, but what we really have is a disease care system, not, not a health care system. It's not about caring for or supporting health. It's about treating the symptoms of disease. When we reclaim our health, when we get informed and empowered about the power of our food choices, we can transform these statistics. Did you know that three-quarters of medical spending in the United States today is going to treat chronic illness? And that scientists estimate that at least two-thirds of that could be prevented with changes in diet? We, we can radically change the outcome. And statistically, this is very good news for the future of our country. And individually and very personally, it's very good news for the future of our lives. Whether you're looking at diabetes or Alzheimer's disease, whether you're looking at kids or elders or people of any age, the statistics are very clear. It is never too late to start moving in a healthier direction and to reap the benefits of it. That's very true. We are talking with Ocean Robbins, the co-author, co-anthologist with his father, John Robbins, of Voices of the Food Revolution. You can heal your body and your world with food. Paul McCartney says, quote, empowering. This book highlights ways to set a new pattern for the future of the planet. And, in fact, that's really what you're talking about. You're talking about a healthcare system ocean that could be based on very smart, very common sense personal choices, family choices of good eating habits of good drinking water habits, of, of uh, exercise habits, of good sleeping habits, of essentially good habits in the household, family to family, home to home, that could have an incredible bankruptcy-saving effect on not just all of the families that you were referring to just now, but actually of our nation itself. That's how powerful the work that you've been up to and, of course, A Better World has been up to and trying to educate people uh, along these lines. And uh, it's, very, it's very, very true. And what do we need to do to uh, incite people? Now, you have a summit coming up. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. I'm so excited about this, Mitchell, because... We're, my dad, John Robbins, and I are producing the Food Revolution Summit, and this is where we are convening 24 of the world's top food experts to ask them what's really going on with our food systems, and much more importantly, what can we do about it? And yeah. uh, we've got some really brilliant voices coming into the summit. They're all going to be personally interviewed by my dad, and I'm hosting all these presentations. We have Woody Harrelson and 
Dr. Jane Goodall, Amy Goodman yeah. on how to feed democracy, uh, Dr. Mark. Sure, Hyman we've had on Amy show. on the show here before. Sure. Wonderful. Yeah, oh, we have yeah. Dr. Mark Hyman yeah. on the 10-day detox diet, and Alicia Silverstone, and Dr. Dean Ornish, and the food babe Bonnie Hari, and many other brilliant yeah. leaders. And we're we're engaging their insights. The question is, can we distill what these experts and visionary leaders have discovered and share it in service? to a more healthy, sustainable, humane, and conscious food. What we know is that the food system right now is not working. It's, it's toxic. Our food is full of chemicals with names we can't pronounce and hormones and antibiotics and you know, toxic mumbo-jumbo, right? And That's right. We know, that we know that it's causing illness. We know that 75% of the foods on our supermarket shelves and restaurant menus contain genetically modified organisms and that there's considerable concern amongst many scientists about whether these are actually proven safe. And we know that we can do better in so many respects. So we call this a food revolution because uh, I think one of the great myths out there is that you can just, that balance and moderation are the keys to health. But you know what? A balanced and moderate mix of toxic food is still going to make you sick. And in the long term, if you want to thrive and be healthy, if you want to learn from what the experts have discovered, then, you know, you don't have to be a victim of a toxic food culture. You can take matters into your own hands. And so we're putting on the Food Revolution Summit to help people do just that. So if you go to uh, foodrevolutionsummit.org, you can check it out. You can sign up. You can get informed and empowered and participate for free. That's excellent. So it's a... It's a three-day summit, is that correct? April well, you know, 27th, it's actually, it's actually 28th, nine days. 29th, and 30th, actually. What's that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's no, uh, it's actually minute. April 26th to May 4th. And oh, yeah. uh, we'll be interviewing three experts per day um, throughout the time. And, you know, again, foodrevolutionsummit.org is the website. We've been doing this for a couple of years now, interviewing leading experts and sponsoring Food Revolution Summits. We've reached more than 150,000 people through these events so far. We're expecting this to be our biggest year ever. And the response has been phenomenal. And I can't tell you how much it means to me when I get letters from people telling me how they've lost 50 pounds, how their health has turned around, how they've gone from being constantly sick to being solidly healthy for a year or more, and they're getting more done at work, and their marriage has improved, and their love life has improved. Sometimes even their sex life has improved. And yeah. and they're so much happier. And I know, like, this is what it's all about, right? Um, yeah. It's so that, so that families don't have to lose loved ones earlier than they need to. It's so that people can be healthy and happy for longer and have more joy and more vibrancy. You know, there's this myth that people who eat healthy food don't live longer. It just seems like it because if life is more boring. Um, but I think the opposite is actually the reality that, in mm-hmm. fact, uh, healthy food means more thriving. It means more joy and vitality. And you know, that's what I well, want for also, people. Also, there are some very fantastic uh, you know, recipes out there for raw food, live food, vegetarian food, vegan food recipes that uh, Gary Null, the Optimum Health Institute, the Hippocrates Institute, uh, uh, and Wigmore's Institute in Puerto Rico. There are so many places that have come up with really good, well, I don't know if I want to call them cookbooks, although some of them are, but certainly um, culinary books that have 
awesome recipes. There are restaurants all over. I remember being at one called Raw in San Francisco many years ago. I think they opened up in L.A. thereafter. And Oh, I mean, New York, uh, there are Quintessence. There are Caravan of Dreams, my friend Angel's restaurant. There are so many good recipes, so there's nothing boring about it, Ocean. Not really. Oh, not at all. The world is vast and wonderful. And, uh, you know, the, the beautiful thing is that when you get out of habits, you actually um, can taste more delicious things because you're, you're interested, you're engaged, and you're curious. Yeah. So the, the world of culinary delights is a, a rich and, dare I say, delicious one. Um, <laughs> yes, indeed. But, you know, we, we, we are creatures of habit, and often we yes. find the things we like and we kind of stick with it. And when well, you get right down to it, most foods. of us have maybe, you know, at most five or ten things that we make with any regularity. And for the most part, we are, um, you know, repeating those recipes uh, day in and day out. And, and in that case, I think what's really awesome is that you can just kind of swap out, crowd out the bad stuff with the good stuff. Take one, yeah, find really one true. recipe I, you love and make it part of your starting yeah. lineup rotation. Exactly. I used to have a Tai Chi teacher, Ocean, who used to say, you're going to have habits. There's nothing you can do about it. It's the nature of life itself. So just make those habits good ones. <laughs> so <laughs> I felt that was really good advice, sage advice, you know, <laughs> by a nice Jewish Brooklynese Tai Chi master. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted to uh, also bring up something you mentioned earlier. You said when you really contemplate the global planetary ecological situation and your own personal health, you don't necessarily have to be a vegetarian. Well, you know, we've all become habituated to certain kinds of food choices, as you've made clear and as we know. So what do you mean by that, that you do not have to become vegetarian in order to be conscientious about both one's own personal health and the planetary condition of health? Well, we've kind of got this fear, I think, that we have to sign some kind of a purity pact and, yeah. you know, uh-huh. in, order, in order to do a That's good funny. thing. And, yeah. you know, I think that we have enough boxes and categories in the world to divide us and separate us and make us self-righteous yeah. or make us guilty for all eternity and back. <laughs> but when you get right down to it, I'm not really I don't really care what box or category you put yourself in. I, I care about helping mm-hmm. you thrive. And I care about helping your actions be congruent with your values and your integrity. And I care about sharing the information that can help that happen. And so when it comes mm-hmm. to food choices, I don't want to make the perfect into the enemy of the good. I I don't want to make us try so hard to do it right and then fail and then not do our best. So my interest, first and foremost, is what is my best? And, you know, how can we help other people to do our best? Knowing that we've got a lot of things demanding our time and none of us can spend our entire life in the kitchen. We have to work. We've got families. We've got other things we want to do. And so my sure. interest then becomes, in that context, how can we make the best of it? And I uh, can create a really healthy, joyous relationship with food that will serve us. And unfortunately, the ready-made options, the, the fast food culture, the stuff that's readily accessible in every convenience store in America is, for the most part, dare, my, dare I say it, crap. I mean, yeah. it's full of chemicals with names we can't pronounce and uh, sugars that are added and toxic, and it is uh, 
wreaking a terrible price on our lives, on our kids, on our families, on our world. So it does take some doing to break out of that and create other ways. The good news is that every step you take to build a new food culture is not just for you. It's actually changing the way that food is handled in your community. You're increasing demand for healthy food, and you're showing your friends that that you can eat healthy food, and they get inspired by that too. I think it's a wonderful thing how often ripples go out. And when, when you're standing for something you love and you believe in, you won't just change your life. You will ultimately change the lives of a lot of people you love. It's really true. We are speaking with Ocean Robbins, the co-author and co-anthologist of the book with his father, Voices of the Food Revolution. You can heal your body and your world with food, and his father and he are uh, sponsoring yet again uh, a Food Revolution Summit, and the information is at their website, foodrevolutionsummit.org. It's for free folks, although they do have some other kinds of packages which you can get. But you can also attend the summit. It's all virtual from anywhere in the world. And we do have listeners from all over the world. So tune in and uh, learn more about uh, participating and listening and learning. It can really be life-changing. As you were saying before, uh, talking about life-changing, why don't you tell us the so interesting story, Ocean, of your own family, uh, your grandfather and the uh, story of your father growing up in a family with an ice cream uh, cone-shaped swimming pool in the backyard and uh, all of that. It's a very inspiring story. Absolutely. Well, you know, growing up, I, I do come from an interesting family Um my grandfather founded Baskin Robbins Ice Cream Company, 31 Flavors. And yeah. my dad was groomed from early childhood to one day join and running the family company. And he grew up eating a lot of ice cream. In fact, uh, we, I sometimes joke that you know my grandfather sold more ice cream than any human being who's ever lived on this planet. And my dad probably ate more ice cream as a child than any kid who's ever lived on this planet. Oh, my sometimes God. ate it for breakfast. And then and when did he, he really have early, it for breakfast too? <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. Oh my god! <laughs> when he was in his early twenties, he was uh, offered the opportunity to join his father in um, making this company his life's work, and he said yeah. no. And he walked away from any access to the family wealth to follow his own rocky road, as we say in my family. Yes. And Cute. he he ended up um, doing so because he he. His own uh, uncle, Bert Baskin, had just died of a heart attack. He was becoming aware that that uh, while an ice cream cone won't kill anybody, that eating large amounts of sugar and dairy products can take a toll on the health mm-hmm. of a person's life. He had just seen it with his own uncle. And he did not... Who was obviously to- the partner of his father. Yeah, so Bert Baskin yeah. and Irvin Robbins founded Baskin Robbins Ice Cream Company. Mm-hmm. They ran mm-hmm. it together. But then uh, my dad's uncle, Bert Baskin, had had this heart attack, and yeah. uh, so he was no longer able to stay with the company, and that's actually what precipitated you know, my grandfather's decision to, to, to need to sell the company or keep my dad on as a partner. My dad said, yeah. no, I need to go my own way. He didn't want to spend his life selling a product that wasn't going to contribute to people's health and wellness. 
So we ended up moving with my mom to a little island off the coast of Canada where they built a one-room log cabin, grew most of their own food, and lived very, very simply. Um, I was born in that cabin, the parents who were doing yoga and meditation for several hours a day and calling their kid Ocean. (laughs) In time, my dad ended up uh, becoming a best-selling author. He wrote books. He's written many books that have sold millions of copies about Mm -hmm. how our food choices affect our health and our world. The media had a whole lot of fun with his story. They called him the rebel without a cone. <laughs> you know, the interesting turn of events was that I remember uh, when he came up. I remember when he came up into popularity. Uh, you know, I actually grew up with um, uh, one of the children uh, of the Baskin family myself in Westport, Connecticut. My friend Matthew Fink, his mother was a Baskin. I don't remember exactly how, but yeah. so I remember hearing the stories about the family way back when I was a child myself. It just so happens. So uh, right. it's interesting. Right. Isn't well, that let, me, funny? let me close Small that loop world. for you. Let me close that loop Please. for you, Mitchell. So my, my grandfather in his early 70s uh, was experiencing some pretty serious health challenges. He, his doctor yeah. told him, you know, Mr. Robbins, you've got high blood pressure, you've got serious diabetes, you're going to have to take these medications for the rest of your life. Um, You're a very sick man. You don't have long to live. And Mm. they told him he should probably get his affairs in order. He ended up, though, his doctor gave him a copy of my dad's book. And lo and behold, he read it. Uh, Diet for New America was the book that his doctor gave him. And uh, my grandfather ended up reading it and taking its advice. He transformed his life. He went to a more plant-strong diet, and he got major changes. He lost 25 pounds. He got off his blood pressure and diabetes medications, and his golf game improved seven strokes. He wound up living another uh, 15 healthy years. And on his deathbed, when when his age finally did catch up with him, he he said to my dad and I, he, he said, thank God some of us have lived long enough to learn a few new things. And I, I wonder if you can imagine how much courage it would take for a man who's built his life and his reputation yes. and his considerable fortune selling ice cream to end yes. up giving up ice cream, changing his yes. life and diet dramatically, getting these kinds of results, and then thanking the renegade son who walked away yes. from his life's work and his great achievements. Mm, I, a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, courage yeah. that would take. And I, I admire him Truly. so much for that. So uh, so now my dad and I uh, are working together, and we think that we've experienced in our own family the powerful changes that can come about from a healthy, plant-strong diet. I myself so ran my first marathon when I was even, 10. I'm sorry, say that again? I, I said I ran my first marathon when I was 10, and oh I was my. Uh, set my elementary school record for push-ups and chin-ups, and now I have more energy than I know what to do with uh, at the age of 40. Um, my dad's the talk of our local gym because he's just so freaking fit, you know. And so yeah. we are walking the talk, and we are seeing the results as my grandfather did. And frankly, we know what it's like to have a whole lot of momentum going in a less healthy direction. And we know what it's like to change course, and we know what can happen when you change course. And that's why we want to tell other people about it. What's also interesting in this story, Ocean, is that it wasn't your father that gave his father the book, but the, but your grandfather's doctor that gave him the book. Yes. Isn't that curious? 
Well, of course my dad had given him a copy, but no, no, my grandfather hadn't read it. It, it, Honestly, I think it took his own health being on the line uh, and his own doctor telling him what was up for him to believe it, you know. And and isn't that sometimes the case sometimes that we have the hardest time listening to the people who are closest to us? Isn't that you know, the truth? Isn't we we sometimes uh, have uh, have a hard time even appreciating or telling saying I love you to people close to us because we kind of that's can right. tend to take each other for granted. But that's you know, that's really uh, true. So the family, though, I think that's another lesson get, in this story. Yeah, it's got it's a multi-leveled story. It really is. So the, so all the family did reunite together. Then is that the case? After well, there was definitely, uh, you know, we, as we say, blood is thicker than ice cream. <laughs> there, were, there was there was a lot of healing. Uh, you know, my yeah. grandfather, to his deathbed, was uh, not uh, of the same culture or political mindset uh, as myself. Um, we, right. we saw things very differently, but there was love there, yes. and ultimately that's probably yes. the most important thing. And appreciation and respect. It's a yes. beautiful story, and in... Um, I was going to say in a nutshell, but maybe I should say in a cone. Um, <laughs> you really have an entire, uh, it's like an, it's an entire story of how people can morph and evolve from the standard American diet and even having a child's delightful uh, best breakfast of ice cream, you know, in fantasy, um, go all the way from that extreme to a powerfully healthy diet and watching the changes in one's body and therefore family just change so much that you ultimately brought, you know, the biggest ice cream guy in the world around to, um, you called it a plant-strong diet. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's, that's my favorite terminology. That's I, a really think... interesting phrase, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I'm advocating for uh, more plant-strong food, more local food, more organic yes. food, more non-GMO yes. food, more fair trade, more, um, you know, sustainable agriculture. Um, I, I think farm workers should be treated better. I think that those who eat animals, we need to treat the animals a heck of a lot better than we are right now. And I think that all of these changes will help us reclaim our food systems from the grip of uh, large-scale corporate interests that are making billions of dollars off of selling us stuff that is making us sick. It's so true. It's so true. And it's all been, uh, you know, industrialized food. These are two words that really don't belong together in the same sentence. But we have become accustomed to this notion of agribusiness and monocropping, and there's something so distasteful, no pun intended, about that, that uh, yet the younger people coming up into our world don't even know a life of having food right from the farm onto the table, or indigenous cultures are losing their culinary expertise, really, of Food, you know, from the tree. I mean, I know about this. I've traveled the world. I've seen the cultures. I've known people who live. I've eaten in homes in India and in South America and Asia where, you know, 
it's just it's real food, real coconuts, real everything, and yeah. this is the way they live. Fish caught and immediately put on the plate. It's it's an entirely different relationship to the natural world, you know, and and yep. then come to America, not even Europe until more recently, come to America and you have uh, it's all been taken over by by industry, by the Monsantos of the world and uh and DuPonts and the rest of them. And what DuPont is these are both chemical companies. What are they involved in food for? But you know, I I sound naive, of course I know. They have chemicalized our food sources and they've chemicalized our language really. It was as recent as this morning I was listening to, I think it was uh, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman, and uh, someone said that chemicals are considered innocent until proven guilty. And that goes for even such things as, obviously, fluoridation of the water supply, but even benzene that was found. Oh, I know. it was. I heard this on C-SPAN this morning looking at the entire debacle of the uh, pollution of the rivers in West Virginia over the last few months from the coal and from Duke Energy and the like. And uh, they were saying this entire state is almost a failed state, Uh, no pun intended, because it doesn't have water. How can you live? In, a, in an area that does not have actually potable water. And think of what happens to the land values and to the real estate values and to everything. You, you ha- what yeah. are you going to do, drink out of plastic water bottles for the rest of your life? This is the kind of society, unfortunately, we have created. We're not in the process of. It's already been done. And, I mean, this is just a way of circling back to thanking you and your father and the many, many others that are attending your summit, that are in your book, that are actively engaged in educating people about the toxicity of the food chain at this point and how important it is to, in a sense, liberate ourselves from it so we can go back to a healthy relationship with the land with local economies and farmers and um, come back to true pleasure and enjoyment as well as, needless to say, nutrition from the food we ate. Your comments. <laughs> wow, you, you paint a beautiful picture. And oh, we, 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 the beautiful thing is that it is completely doable. Yeah. We have seen a fourfold increase in farmers' markets in the last 10 years in the United States. We've seen a fourfold increase in sales of organic foods. Mm. Uh, again, uh, natural foods is now a $50 billion industry in the United States. Look we are seeing foods. an explosion right. of interest in natural foods. Non-GMO certified products were non-existent four years, three years ago, and today it's a $5 billion industry. More and more people care what they eat. They care what it comes from. They care how it was growing. If food says natural, organic, 
fair trade or non-GMO on the package, people will buy it more. Yeah. And unfortunately, these labels don't always mean all that we'd like them to. Foods could say natural, but they still contain neurotoxic pesticides. They still contain hormones or antibiotics. They Mm -hmm. may contain high fructose corn syrup, and they definitely could contain genetically modified organisms. There isn't really any regulation right now around what natural means, so it's kind of the Wild West. And natural pretty much means that a company wants to make money by putting that brand on their products and appealing to natural consumers. But it doesn't mean that the product is natural in any way, shape, or form. So unfortunately, we've got to pay a little bit of attention to these things. Um, But the reality is that people care. More and more and more people care and are, are, are acting on that caring, and it's showing up in the marketplace and companies are taking note. And there's a reason why Cheerios has gone non-GMO and why Post Grape Nuts has gone non-GMO and is getting non-GMO certified. And there's a reason why non-GMO uh, growing farmers are starting to actually sell more, uh, sell, sell, excuse me, sell their products for a higher price because the demand yeah. is increasing rapidly. Uh, yeah. So I think that we are witnessing and we are participating in some pretty seismic changes right now. The obesity epidemic and the way that it's impacting our kids has hit our country really hard. It's expected that one in three American children is going to get diabetes in their lifetimes. And, uh, you know, we have obesity rates and overweightness rates that are nearing 50%. This is impacting the ability of the armed forces to have eligible people. More and more people are being disqualified when they apply to join in the military service because they literally don't have the fitness capacity to serve. So it's impact. It's a national security threat as well as obviously an economic threat. So you don't have to be some kind of new age hippie or some vegetarian fanatic, you know, to care. This is very basic dollars and cents issues. And you can be a real patriot and say, you know what, we want our country to be safe and secure, and we're not going to let Monsanto or Coca-Cola or McDonald's set our nation's food policy anymore. It should be serving right. the interests of the American people. That's right. That's right. Hallelujah. <laughs> that really sounds inspired and inspiring. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, when you really look at it, now I heard something. Maybe you can help to clarify this. I mean, it's hard for me to say this, but I heard because of the confusion around language and law, and I mean, I remember hearing 25 years ago that, I mean, I don't know if this was exactly true, but I think it was something like Del Monte bought the word natural when it came to ketchup. So even though they had a number of chemicalized words in their ketchup, <clears throat> they bought the word. They, just like the AMA, in a sense, bought the word cancer. They control the word. So how and where it shows up is actually has legal uh, implications. Now, I'm not sure they've been able to have a patent on it and patents run out and things like that. But um, so that may be part of the confusion with the word uh, natural. But I recently heard this phrase, Ocean, organic GMOs. Well, there is no such thing currently because um, part of the definition of organic as certified by the United States Department of Agriculture is that it is non-GMO. 
So, uh, of course, Monsanto okay. would like to change that. They'd like to see GMOs accepted as organic, but uh, that's not how it, it works. So, um, yeah. for those who want to avoid GMOs, you know, there's really um, a couple ways you can do it. Three, three top ways you can do it. One is look for the organic label. Two is look for the certified non-GMO label. And three is avoid the high-risk culprits, which are corn, soy, canola oil, um, and sugar from sugar beets. And if you avoid non-organic versions of those products, you're doing pretty well to avoid GMOs. And speaking of GMOs, I want to tell you, can I tell you a little bit about why I think GMOs is an important topic, Mitchell? Oh, please. We've had Jeffrey okay. Smith. Jeff, Jeffrey Smith is a very good friend of a better world. Wonderful. The author of Genetic Well, well you know, some people think deception. GMO means God move over, but it doesn't. It actually stands for Genetically <laughs> Modified <laughs> Organism. <laughs> yeah. I never yeah. heard that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you story. know what a genetically modified organism is? Is uh, it's basically scientists have spliced together the genes uh, from different uh, species. Uh, so they take the genes from, for example, a fish that can swim in cold water, and they stick it in a tomato to try to make the tomato more hardy in cold weather. Or they yeah. stick the genes from a virus or bacteria that is resistant to herbicides into soy or corn, and then they can spray herbicides on the field, and the weeds may die, but the soy or corn will stay standing. Uh, so we've, we've had a lot of promises from Monsanto and the other companies behind genetically modified foods. They've told us that G, genetically modified foods were going to be key to feeding the world. They would lead to higher yields, more drought-resistant crops, that they would lead to better nutritional profiles, and uh, th that they would even lead to better flavor. I wish that was true. I really, really do. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, we've had GMOs in our food supply for about 20 years now. The amount of planting has expanded considerably over the course of that time. And what we are seeing is none of those traits have been delivered. What we're actually seeing is that genetically modified crops are not getting higher yields, they're not more drought resistant, they have no higher nutritional profile, and they're not better in any flavor uh, perspective at all. They offer no benefit to the consumer. What they are doing is basically two things, and this is what's on the market right now, and one is that they're resistant to herbicides, like Monsanto's proprietary herbicide Roundup, and the other is that they actually produce a toxin in every cell of the plant called Bt, which is a pesticide. So these plants are literally registered with the EPA as pesticides. So we've got living pesticide factories, and we've got the ability to resist massive dosings of herbicides. We're seeing more and more use of herbicides and pesticides in our agriculture, and GMOs are driving it. It's a scary thing because... We're also polluting our land, our waters, even our air. A uh, recent study found that uh, most mother's milk contains levels of, high levels of glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup. It's in our, it's in our world. It's in our environment massively. Yes. And this is, this is a little frightening because we don't entirely know what the impact of all this glyphosate is. But we do know that in the last 20 years, as rates of uh, glyphosate have been increasing dramatically as consumption of GMOs has been increasing dramatically. In those same 20 years, we've seen a massive increase in autism rates. They've increased almost fivefold. 
In those same years, we've seen a massive increase in food allergies and, in fact, a tripling in hospitalizations for food allergies just in the last 15 years in America. We've seen a rapid growth in all kinds of digestive problems, people who are allergic to wheat and, and other other foods. And correlation does not equal causation. We don't know for a fact that GMOs are connected to this. But I'll tell you what we do know. The correlation is strong. And when a correlation is this strong, I think it bears further study. And it's hard to study right now because we don't have the labeling. So that's why... A lot of people have been organizing, saying, you know what, we should have labeling of GMOs so that the American people can make their own choice about what they want to eat. There's labeling in 64 other countries. There's labeling throughout all of the European Union. Why not in America? Yes. So when you say that it's a horrible story that you just told, and I I am familiar with it, and it actually goes beyond that, frankly, Uh, the tests on lab animals, with GMO foods versus non-GMO foods have shown us uh, positively the negative medical physiological effects that GMO foods have over time. So there are lots of question marks, and I appreciate the conservative point that correlation is not causation, but there have been enough tests to show there are causative factors in GMO foods. Um, And it's so interesting to just respect our gut level intelligence, which is a lot of what we're talking about here today, (laughs) um, is um, this notion that when people are offered a GMO plate of food versus one that's not or a GMO vegetable versus or salmon or something, then one is not. They always go for the one that's not. What does that mean? That tells well, us. Well, you know what it means is that, that we have care. an instinctive knowing that that is not the way to go. There's something out of nature, beyond nature, unnatural yep. about it. Yes, completely true. Yeah, well, and that's that's the wonderful thing. Uh, you know, you you can count on most people most of the time to do what makes sense to them. Um, yes. So I think Winston Churchill said, "You can always count on the on Americans to do the right thing after they've exhausted every other available option." <laughs> that's right. Exactly. <laughs> but, but sort but of the, the way bottom line about is democracy that, too. <laughs> yeah, right. But the bottom line is that most people, most yeah. of the time, you know, we don't want to be sick. And That's we don't right. want our loved ones to be sick. And, right. you know, when you really correlate um, eating toxic food, not with having fun or doing what's easy or taking care of yourself, but instead with sickness, then it changes the whole conversation. And we, we say, right. well, I'm going to have a treat. I'm going to go, you know, have this candy bar. It's a treat for myself because I love myself and I want to reward myself for a, a job well done. But we, don't, we wouldn't think like, oh, I want to reward myself by giving myself diabetes, cancer, heart disease, increasing my chances right. of obesity, making myself have lethargy and impotence. We wouldn't say that. Yes. But That's if right. we thought of it in those terms, then we'd, we might say, I want to reward myself with broccoli and spinach today and some cabbage because I want to have more energy tomorrow and I want to have more bounce in my step and I want to feel lighter and more clear in my mind. So the reality is that when we can shift the way we think about it, we get radical change. And th- I've got to say, part of the challenge is that we have – tens of billions of dollars being spent on advertising, 
uh, for food products around the world, and most of that is going to ads for junk food. That's so right. uh, it, it's sometimes a bit of an uphill battle to to reverse the highly effective subliminal messages we've absorbed, which have normalized eating crap. <laughs> you know, <laughs> to put it bluntly. now I think you're on, you know, being rational is something that advertisers and marketers learned doesn't work. And even those of us who are seeking to who blow the whistle on, let's say, right habits of food and lifestyle altogether, we know the rational argument just doesn't work that well. It has to be kind of jazzed up with a little sex, with a little entertainment, with a little humor. You know, it's just because that we're right-brained and left-brained, and our left exactly. brain just won't get the whole story. But what you're saying now is to get underneath the subliminal messaging, to get underneath the advertising. And when we see that all we are in the eyes of the um, economic forces is we're just a bunch of lab rats and a bunch of consumerists, all we are is consumer. I'm, I'm not just using the word consumer, as you can tell. We're consumerists as though it's a, it's a religion called consumerism. Have you ever heard that religion? Oh, yeah. It's very popular in the United States. And uh, when we look at it that way, Ocean, we say nobody wants to feel like a pawn in someone else's chess game. And that can be very empowering for people to say, I want to get out of that yoke. I don't want to be yes. an oxen in someone else's you know, farm story. I want to have my own farm. Thank you very much. You know. Right. And that leads to empowerment. Well, it's true. And ultimately, the question is: Are you going to let your commercial interests, uh, you know, have have governance over your life, over your health, over your energy level and your vitality? And the food revolution is about reclaiming our lives from the grip of uh, industrialized corporate agricultural system that is. Honestly, being uh, being supported by our government. I mean, our government is literally subsidizing the junk food industry uh, and right. enabling it, and that's because those same interests that are making money from the status quo are also funding a government uh, campaign system that is keeping the status quo in place. Uh, exactly. But we don't have to be victims. We can reclaim our lives. We can reclaim our health, and the benefits are immense. The food revolution well, is available to yeah. anybody at, at any stage. You can always take steps and find and reap the benefits. And if you go to foodrevolutionsummit.org, you can join us and join our summit and get involved and transform your life. That's wonderful, Ocean. I just want to thank you and your father and all of your colleagues so much for the good work that you are continuing to do in uh, raising people's awareness, and giving them, uh, how shall we say, forks over knives. You know, it's uh, it's uh, really, really important. And by the way, uh, it should also be said that so many of the woes of so many people in our country are economic in nature. And they only get worse when people continue to uh, support the junk food industry and bad eating habits, and corporatized food production. 
But the more we turn back to something you were saying earlier about supporting local economies, um, everything changes. We really start to uh, get healthier, which means we can earn more money, our minds are brighter, and we can pull ourselves out of, uh, for those who are in a poverty cycle, let's say, you know, Mm -hmm. by spending actually a little bit more money on nourishment for organic foods actually ends up could pay much higher dividends. So you're accomplishing two things at once. You yourself are getting healthier, and uh, you are divesting from further supporting an industry that is polluting us. You get that double edge? It's, It's wonderful that we get to be a part of this transformation. It really is. Um, it really so, is. Yep, yep. And uh and and um give your website one more time for the summit. I will. Foodrevolutionsummit.org is how you can join us, join the food revolution, get informed and empowered with some of the top food experts on the planet. Uh really hope that you'll join us. Um And, it's the, and more the important, date. I hope you'll you'll join yeah. you. I hope you'll you'll take a stand for your own health and your own thriving. Yes, indeed. That's wonderful. And the dates of the summit, again, are? April 26th to May 4th. But whenever you're hearing this, you can always jump in and join us because we will keep that website fresh and alive with uh, new content and resources to help empower you. That's great. Well, I'd love to be part of it one of these days, one of these years. I'd love to participate in some form or another. I'd be glad to because we really do a lot at A Better World to support this revolution and many of our guests are people who are in your book and are connected to uh the food revolution that you guys are helping to spear to spearhead so thanks so much really absolutely thank you mitchell sure absolutely take care now you too we have been speaking with Ocean Robbins, the author with his father, a uh, co-anthologist, I should really say, of Voices of the Food Revolution. You can heal your body and your world with food. And uh, we just spent uh, the whole show talking about food empowerment, eating well, eating healthy, and you were able to tell that there was no, you know, self-righteousness about this and no, how do they say, food Nazism. That's not it. used a very interesting phrase Ocean did of plant strong. So if you're a meat eater or a fish eater or a poultry eater or what have you, eater, uh... The point is to start to shift the proportions of what it is you eat. And if you are eating meat-based types of foods, that you make sure they're from good, healthy, grass-fed types of cage-free sources as best you can. And that, more than anything, you move toward more fruits and vegetables and grains and sprouts. And there are plenty of recipes 
that will titillate you. I know because I've been to places like the Optimum Health Institute and I've gone through the series of the cleansing and the learning and the using of of uh, creative use of vegetables and all of these uh, natural food sources for making utterly, completely delicious, nourishing, healthy, and really tasty kinds of uh, culinary delights. So with that, I want to just thank you all for joining. I have another uh, important announcement for any of you who are anywhere near New York City in the next couple of weeks. We have uh, something on our website, the Planet Earth event. It's uh, sort of the day of international peace. I'm looking for it now to share with you. Planet Heart, in association with We the World, iMove International, A Better World, the 8th Annual World Peace Earth Day Celebration, Awakening Humanity's Consciousness for a Better Planet, which is Thursday, April 24th between 4 and 11 p.m. Yes, it's in the middle of the week, and yes, it starts around 4. We'll have two panels, a peace panel and an earth panel, and uh, yours truly will be um, uh, moderating the earth panel. My dear colleague and friend, Paul Slakis of Good News Planet, will be uh moderating the peace panel and uh, wonderful people, Deborah Muldow, my dear friend from the World Peace Prayer Society, Suzanne, co-founder of Universal Peace Day, Reverend Susanna Bastarica, founder of the Annual Vigil for International Peace and Ecology, I Move, also known as Christine Marie, Wellness Through Inter... Uh, John Connors and Kirill Ravensong, Conscious Disruption, I'm Still getting to know them. Uh, And then uh, my panel, Mother Earth is Calling, at uh, just before 7 o'clock on April 24th, uh, with panelists, Grandmother Bishop Ligia Maciel de Castro, who is a Native Elder spokesperson for this event. She's been part of them year after year. My good colleague and friend, Rick Ulfick, founder of We the World and the We Campaign. Michael Wynn, president of Healing Tao USA, my Dharma brother, internationally renowned speaker, author, and teacher of Taoist ways. We've been all over the sacred mountains of China together a couple of times. Very dear, close friend. Laurel Retke, who I still don't know yet, who is involved in different kinds of crystal healing and the like. So we're really going to have a very special evening. If you go to the website, World Peace Earth Day 2014.com. World Peace Earth Day 2014, or just go to abetterworld.tv where you want to sign up for the newsletter anyway. If you are not yet getting it, uh, all the information is there, and I really do hope that you can uh, join us that evening. And also, 
May 2nd through 4th, up at the Shivananda Yoga Ashram, or also known as Yoga Ranch, uh, I'll be teaching a course in workshop in Qigong and therapeutic theater. So please know you're welcome for a beautiful weekend up in the Catskill Mountains and Woodburn, not far from Ellenville in the gorgeous Catskills. It's a great time of year to be up there for some yoga. I'll be teaching the Qigong and the therapeutic theater, which is essentially a way of uh, learning a higher level conscious communication that becomes authentic and fun and meaningful, purposeful, all at the same time. So uh, that, again, is on our website, uh, website at betterworld.tv, I believe. I will have to check. It's certainly in our newsletters. So if you would turn to our newsletter, a Better World newsletter only out once a week for free, uh, you can sign up for it on our website. Last announcement for now is Higher Brain Living uh, with Dr. Michael Cotton, who is here at the New Life Expo about four weeks ago, uh, will be returning to the East Coast from the Midwest for a, uh, an event, a conference, an expo in New Jersey, the Mind, Body, Soul, is it? Expo? Uh, Mind, Body, Spirit. Oh, there we go. Mind, Body, Spirit. And then he'll be circling back to New York on May 8th, 9th, and 10th, a demonstration at the Meta Center, 214 West 29th Street, on May 8th. So put this down in your calendar. It will be special. Michael is, uh, you know, one of my new heroes because he is doing something about uh, increasing our vibrancy in the prefrontal cortex that makes us smarter, that makes us more telepathic, that makes us more compassionate and more uh, brotherly and sisterly with each other, increasing kindness and giving us the kind of uh, fulfillment of human potential that we've all been looking for. It's our, it's our internal evolutionary impulse to want to fulfill all that we've got inside us and bring it to the outside. So, again, that's May 8th, Thursday night at the Meta Center, a uh, demonstration of higher brain living with Dr. Michael Cotton. Again, all the info is on our website where we also have the Harmonic Energetic Balancing Program, which through a photograph, a holographic representation of yourself, you can receive energy, thousands of frequencies that are affecting you from wherever you are. It's a form of remote healing. We have the Life System, which is a biofeedback system for sale, but I do sessions, stress management sessions with people privately, on phone, on Skype, as well as in person here in New York City. And last, we invite you to donate as little as what would be a latte with Mitchell every month. We'd appreciate it if there's a donate button 
if you want to keep us on the air and keep us going, or even better, or along with, send us sponsors. Tune us in to those involved in holistic health and wellness, the food movement, the environmental movement, the green movement, the eco-movement. These are our bailiwick here at A Better World, or publishers who publish books on these kinds of subjects. So please join us. So glad to have you part of our A Better World family here. Uh, We're on the air every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio at 6 p.m. It's always an archive. And Monday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're on community cable television public access here in New York City in Manhattan, though you can also get that from our ever-growing, ever-expanding website. So thanks again for joining us. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. So glad you are part of our family here, our community. And also, last thing, I will be restarting a show on uh, Progressive Radio Network on um, Progressive Film Review. It'll be something like the Progressive Film uh, Hour with Mitchell Rabin. It'll be starting, we don't have a date exactly yet, but it should be in the upcoming several weeks. Stay tuned to our website, and indeed, you will be informed. Thanks again. And I look forward to seeing you all.